Dear Broadies, before I get to the episode, I want to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion in the United States. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety, and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions in this country. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans and people who live in America. Learn more by visiting choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. You can find a list of where to donate in each state at donationsforabortion.com. That's donations, the number four, abortion.com. I have personally started donating to states where trigger laws go into effect immediately. Remember, even if you can only spend $1 or $5, that helps. There are things we can do to fight this, and it is going to take continued focus and community support. So I encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. It's not even about how safe you can make the person after the fact. It's about how safe you can make the person in the moment. Mm-hmm. Like, And I, I don't think that journalists remember that often enough. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pod Broads. This is a podcast about women in podcasting, and I'm your host, Alexandra Cole. Welcome back, my broadies, to another week of the Pod Broads. I want to start off today's episode with a brief double shout out to some days that just passed, the first one being Indigenous Peoples Day. I am currently recording this episode on land that was originally inhabited by the Lenape Native Americans. And to quickly address my non-Indigenous listeners, if you haven't looked that up for where you live currently, I encourage you to do so. I also know that some of my listeners do not live in the United States, but to me, that's not really a prerequisite to do some or all of these things that we can do to learn more about Native American history in America. And depending on where you live not in the U.S., it might also apply to you. I also wanted to quickly recommend another podcast episode that I love and learned a lot from last year that I continue to recommend to people. It's from Own Your Stories, which if you've listened to season one of the Pod Broads, you'll recognize that name from Siona Petros's episode. It is Stewards of This Land, which they did a rerun of and is just one example of a podcast episode that taught me so much. It breaks down the history behind who could claim Native status in the U.S., how the U.S. government purposefully fucked with this process in an attempt to continue genocide practices, and why it is so essential to incorporate Indigenous voices into policy that affects the land, specifically in the context of the state of Virginia for this episode, just so you know. You can actually find a link to listen in the show notes where you'll find a few other podcasts with Indigenous women that I recommended on my blog last year. And if you have any recommendations for me, please feel free to DM or email me. I would love to hear from you. 
Next up, we have National Coming Out Day, which happened on the same day. And I know my Twitter feed was filled with varying degrees of celebration, thoughtful commentary, and people coming out for the very first time, which was really exciting. And it was also perfect in timing with last week's episode with Darren Karp and Liz Cully of Scissoring Isn't a Thing. There's this piece of that conversation with them that I love where... Liz and Darren discuss some of the moments on their own podcast with guests and with coming out stories and how it's not always this major thing and not everyone wants to quote unquote come out in the same way or have it a big deal. And like Liz says, that's okay too. And if you missed that episode, I hope you'll go back and listen to it. There were so many poignant pieces of our chat that I'm still reflecting on and that contribute to the conversation you're going to hear today, actually. It is with Jasmine Aguilera, someone I deeply respect in the industry and who is the co-host and producer of The Cut, one of my all-time favorite podcasts. She has also worked on shows like Snap Judgment, The Daily, and In Vogue, the 1990s. Plus, she has been named the Leslie Nope of podcasting by some, which I also love. We cover so much in this episode, her experience growing up in Santa Cruz, how it shaped her work later on the challenges in investigative journalism and the boundaries that she needed to learn and set along the way, objectivity versus subjectivity in reporting, and what comes with being a public-ish person and how to feel cool on social media. We even attempt to unpack some pieces of cancel culture, so I hope you'll join us through that. I thank Jasmine for her candor and willingness to share in this episode and also to laugh with me throughout some of these difficult topics. And I hope you love the episode. I I know that you'll love getting to know her through it. I'm actually going to jump right into a part where I was getting to know a little bit more about Jasmine's musical abilities. Very nice. Because you also play some instruments, right? I do. I play guitar, a little bit of bass, and I I have a piano, and I kind of mess around on that. Nice. Do you do, like, any other music stuff? Or, like, have you ever done, like, stuff in a band? Or is it just something you enjoy to do? It is it is something I enjoy to do, although, you know, Avery and I were thinking about join, or starting a band together. Oh, my God, <laughs> do it. Do either of you sing as well, or... Yeah, we both do. Although she would be the lead singer because she's got lead singer energy, and Interesting. I, I have lead guitar energy. I think. Oh my gosh, I want to. <laughs> I, I sing as well. I don't play any instruments, but I, uh, you know, have sang in different capacities. But I, I'd be very curious to hear each of your singing voices. It's always fun <laughs> hearing someone's like singing voice after you're like used to hearing them talk so much because it yeah. definitely doesn't always sound the same. What's, <laughs> yeah. what's your like go to if you had to do? Like a, kar- like a karaoke. Yeah. Though I feel like that's a different vibe. Okay. What's your go-to if it's karaoke? And what if, what if you were like doing an actual cover performance? Because that's like a totally different oh. thing. Yeah. And, and that that is true. Um, <laughs> well, karaoke, I have like genres of karaoke. It really depends mm-hmm. on the crowd. So yes. I would say like if the crowd is like older people, I would do like some more 80s stuff, mm. which I really like Tears for Fears or something like that. Mm. Um, or if it seems like a really basic crowd, I'll do Janis Joplin. Um, otherwise it'll be like a punk cover or like salt and pepper or something okay cool. <laughs> i love it that's great yeah. um okay well i accidentally like started with rapid fire questions even though i'm gonna ask you a few more at the end but my first question or the question that i tell everyone even if it's not the one we get to first is who are you in your work and who are you outside of your work 
I love that question. I I, I should. <laughs> I'm gonna you. steal that from you. I think. Like, go for it. Getting people to introduce themselves. That's that's a great way to ask that. So who? I'll start with who I am at work. So I am Jasmine Aguilera, and I'm the co-host of the Cut from New York Magazine. Um, that is my job life and my regular <laughs> life. I would say. Um, what is this phrase I just learned? I'm an Altina. <laughs> I'm a alternative Latina, and I, I really like music. It's been my jam for a long time, and, you know, just kind of quirky type of person. Grew up in Santa Cruz, California, home of the weirdos kind of thing. <laughs> I love that. Altina, I've definitely, that, I, I was today years old when I learned that phrase. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. You also uh, in your in your Twitter bio, I just realized you call yourself a noise bender, and I have to know if that's an avatar reference or not. <laughs> it is an avatar <laughs> reference. Yeah, yeah. I just like the idea of it. Like, wouldn't it be cool if you could actually make podcast episodes with your hands, just kind of like like sculptors do with sculptures? Yes, it one hundred. It, it would. I mean, the amount of. I guess I would imagine the amount of time it would save. Not to discredit how difficult bending work is. But if it be Bending like, work. yes, <laughs> takes it takes years to to master. Um, but I love that I had to I had to double check. Um, I recently it's funny because I feel like I've talked about Avatar now on like a few different episodes, but I just like I just watched it for the first time during the I guess first half of the pandemic. Now I don't know mm. how to like. Vintage pandemic. Yes, yes, vintage <laughs> pandemic. Exactly. Um, my, because my boyfriend had been obsessed for a very long time, and I had a few friends who were also really into it, and they like tried to get me into it, but I feel like I just wasn't in the right. It wasn't the right like environment for me to watch the first few episodes because it was like too many people. People were talking and like discussing mm, it, and I was like, yeah. I need to like fully take it in, and so he got me to start watching it again. And I mean, naturally, I'm obsessed now, and it's. Every I, I genuinely believe it should be in school curriculums, like genuinely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, school curriculum in general needs to update for sure. We can't yes. keep reading stuff from like the 50s and be like, look at how relevant this is. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, how, how are you doing post COVID, by the way? I, I know you had it recently. Yes, I did. Um, I was completely asymptomatic. Oh, that's good. I mean, I lost my smell for like half a day. Okay. And I'm not even sure that I lost my smell because I already had a really bad sense of smell to begin with, like even <laughs> since I was a kid. So I'm just like, well, did I really lose my smell or am I just thinking that I did? But yeah, completely asymptomatic. I just quarantined for how long they told me to okay. do. And that was the hardest part, just being completely, completely quarantined. Yeah. Are you someone who is more so like extroverted or introverted or where do you where do you fall on that scale? I'm curious. Um, I'm definitely extroverted. Um, but I started off introverted. Like I was a very, very shy kid. I was so shy. Mm. I couldn't order food for myself. Oh, wow. Like, I always have, like other people had to do it for me, but my mom put me in a bunch of like theater programs and things like that and kind of kicked it out of me. And then I got over the fear of people not accepting me for being as extra and crazy as I am. And then it just spiraled out of control. And now I'm very extroverted and I really mm. like, I just really like people. Yeah. I like people. So during the phase of when you were too afraid to ask for what you wanted to eat or like to order at these places, were you also like in your like home or with people you were comfortable with? Were you your super ridiculous self as as you explained? Or like, is that something that developed 
once you were able to get into the theater classes and they kind of like brought that out in you no I was pretty weird from (laughs) from the get yeah my mom even told me like my mom and my dad told me later on in life that they were like we were actually really worried about you we thought that we would have to like take care of you for your whole life because you were always off doing something weird (laughs) like um and like the teachers wanted us to put you on medication and all this stuff and like we would ask you about why you wouldn't be paying attention and you were like well it's because it's boring (laughs) I could go do this over here (laughs) so you know and like I I was doing stuff like putting balloon, like I would put my hair in pigtails, mm-hmm. in braided pigtails, and mm-hmm. then I'd put two helium balloons on either side so that they would float up, like Pippi Longstocking. Oh, I was gonna say that. Yeah, I was literally gonna say, <laughs> yeah. oh, that's like that's how you achieve that. That's yeah, yeah. So it's pretty funny. And I also found out recently that my sister and my mom have private conversations about what I post on Instagram. <laughs> And I'm like, well, what did you expect? <laughs> like, the girl with the pippy long-stocking hair is not going to be wearing Eileen Fisher. So. Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, first of all, it's very creative that you're able to figure out how to get that to be done with your hair. And yeah. I also, uh, I mean, as, as hey, mom, hey, sisters, I know you're listening to this. Um, <laughs> they probably do the same shit with me <laughs> with, yeah. with, with things I post online, too, sometimes. Um, but... I, I'm always very interested in, you know, that, that kind of trajectory of like finding self and then like finding self in the work that we do as well. And Mm -hmm. you're obviously in a very like forward facing career and, but I've also done a lot on the back end as well. So we'll kind of get to all those pieces, but I, I recently saw this tweet that maybe you saw too. It was like, it definitely went viral or like mini viral, but it was someone saying like, oh, people who told they were, t- they talked so much in school. What are you doing now? And a lot of like podcasters were retweeting it. Did you see that? Yes. <laughs> and I, yes, yes. So, so true. So true. I was definitely the kid who raised her hand all the time mm-hmm. in school. Like once I got over the shy part, but like in high school, I was the person like, I was also the person like <laughs> I I organ. I was the president of French Club and the president of the Peace and Social Justice Club. Oh, that's how much of a hippie I was. Um, and like I got like, I don't want to call it arrested because that's way over glorifying. But you know how like schools have like the 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 school cop. Yes, you like, know, um, like the hallway person or different. I don't like know. the actual cop, like the the cop. Oh, I don't know. Maybe if I just. I don't know <laughs> if we had school cops. <laughs> maybe we didn't. I just didn't like notice. But interesting. Okay. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, quote, under quotes, arrested because we did like a anti-war um demonstration in the quad and like we did this giant peace sign and like laid down and we refused to go to class until they took military recruiters off the off campus and they wouldn't so we stayed there and then everybody left to go back to class except for me because I was stubborn and they were like Jasmine we're gonna arrest you if you don't go to class and I'm like (laughs) I'm do it then and so then they like made a big show of like getting me up and taking me to the office and like been like we're gonna take you to the station now and then eventually like the principal was like okay go to class like, oh my god <laughs> that's so funny yeah that <laughs> i i don't think i had that at my school but <laughs> now i'm like i need to go ask some people and see if i just didn't remember this as a thing um school cop. yeah so <laughs> i can't say i'm super familiar with santa cruz but like in the town that you grew up in and you know you, you self-identify still as uh, what was it? Altina. Um, Altina. and, uh, like 
did you, what was the vibe of the majority in the town versus like, I would hope the little pockets you were able to like find your people in, but yeah. Yeah. What was, what's the vibe? Well, Santa Cruz is actually a really special place. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, little beach town like an hour and a half south of san francisco and it's like really like the town motto is like keep santa cruz weird mm-hmm. it's very mm. like it used to be at least it's changing because of gentrification stuff but it used to be the sleepy little beach town that was like basically i mean the demographics you'll have to fact check this but it was like <laughs> some like a majority white but then like a, a significant minority of uh latino and um i actually grew up on the east side of santa cruz um so it was kind of a little wider um and you know my mom my mom's an immigrant from mexico uh and like she was a single parent and stuff like that so we kind of grew up for the first part of my life there as you know kind of under the radar in that way um if you want to read between those lines (laughs) um and then uh then when she got a job and like got every all the stuff sorted out uh she could become an engineer so we moved to our first house and then like my life got different and um yeah so I, I had a pretty good childhood it was definitely like a sleepy quirky beach town it's mm. known for its artists and okay. it's like kind of weird people and hippie burnouts that would be everywhere and like when I was 16 I would walk around and like some like I mean I guess I could call him homeless but I don't think he'd call himself homeless because he like lives with the trees is what he right called himself. yeah <laughs> So he'd be like, he would just like ask random people for rides back into the mountains and they would be like, uh, but mm. I would be, I would do it because I grew up there and I saw him every day and I was just like, whatever. And, you know, clearly he had some mental issues, but you know, he was, he was vibing. He was living in the trees, whatever. <laughs> like that's the kind of thing. And when I moved to San Francisco, um, I had a really hard time acclimating because like, I'm not afraid of homeless people or, or like indigent people or anything like that. Like I'm, I grew up thinking that they were just hippies. Yeah. You know, like they're just like, oh, these are just artists that like are just chilling Mm. because they don't want to take part in the system, you know, and that's how I saw them. And then when I came to like San Francisco and Oakland and I saw like drug addiction and things like that in like a Mm. like it really was extremely hard for me to like gel those two things. And I would like go and like take out. Like in, in, in high school when I'd go up there, I'd go with like twenty, forty dollars and go straight to like a coin star or something or like a cash machine, get them all in quarters and just like mm-hmm. like around. So I like it was yeah. hard. Yeah. It was hard to like get I mean, I'm a little sad that I lost that like unique like kind of lens mm-hmm. of which to see people because now it's been corrupted and tainted and now it's like obviously like having seen the poverty and like yeah. what the Bay has become in terms of homelessness is, you know, yeah. it kind of changed how I was. But for a long time in my life, I didn't have that same understanding of the outside world as everybody else did. Cause Santa Cruz is such a weird bubble. Yeah. Well, I mean, and in looking back to those scenarios, do you feel like with this guy, it sounds like even in reflection still, it does seem like he was someone who was just like, like kind of like a Chris McCandless type deal but like still in a city you know like there was more choice in the matter um do you were there more people in Santa Cruz that you feel like did fall under that umbrella or was it like looking back at now what you witnessed in Santa Cruz because of what you saw in San Francisco you were like oh maybe it was actually this other thing yeah I would say it's kind of like finding out that Santa isn't real Mm -hmm. 
you know, like you have this thing that feels so true mm-hmm. because it's all you've been told and all, and like, it's all you've been, and it's, it's beautiful, right. you know, like you're stoked, like you want to believe it. But the second that you learn that it's not what you think it is, it's, you can never go back. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what it feels. It feels like, I do feel like kind of a sense of grief in this like understanding of the world that had to, had to adapt to the real world and not this like cool little Santa Cruz bubble you know yeah um yeah so I'm a little bit sad about that and like obviously I would love to see people the way that I used to see them but I it's like finding out Santa isn't real it's like oh like probably some of these people are addicted to drugs or probably like this or that or maybe they're wildfire victims yeah you know and it's and having having reported on a lot of these topics especially in the Bay Area Mm -hmm. in the past it really like I don't think that my understanding of people's humanity has changed I think I think I've been desensitized to it yeah. as much as that sucks to admit. Like mm-hmm. the empathy there is at arm's length mm-hmm. versus the empathy in Santa Cruz, which was just like, Oh yeah, this is like the dude that I see every day. And you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. it seems more conceptual. And when it's conceptual, it's easier to like distance yourself from it, you know? Yeah. Well, that, I mean, it's, I, I always wonder, and this was actually something that I was going to kind of bring up in general, because I know that there's been cert- uh, many pieces that you've reported on that are really heavy topics. And for people who do deal with like that kind of heavy on a more daily, weekly basis. Um, mm-hmm. And when I say like that heavy, I know you understand, but just like, you know, us talking about deep topics right now is a different thing than yeah. having to like really report and go in and, and deal with that. So I'm always like, okay, what's the, what are the protective emotional measures that Ooh. people have to take? <laughs> and I know it's different for everyone. So I'm like, one of those things is kind of having to do those mental mm-hmm. distancing practices to be able to deal yeah. with it, I would imagine, you know? Yeah. I had, Actually, I had a really intense moment in this with this idea when um, when I was working at Snap Judgment and we were doing an episode about all of the homicide victims in mm. Oakland for a certain year. We went to this. There was an intersection where a thirteen year old boy was shot, mm. and the his family was they were you know undocumented from think they were from from salvador maybe they're from guatemala i'm not i don't quite remember but they were escaping obviously um you know conflict and violence and all the gangs and stuff so they they had just gotten here and like within a like they were escaping violence and within a week their son was shot oh my god it was so hard and so they did like the community which is really beautiful did this like kind of fundraising funeral thing on the street trying to get people to like donate in their cars and say like let's keep Oakland gun free and stuff like that and I went there and they they invited the the parents of the kid who were so uncomfortable Mm. because number one they're undocumented they do not want to be on the news they don't want people to know that they're there like it's very and then number three they're going through like a huge horrible grieving process and then all of a sudden there's all these people in their face like being like people they don't know mm-hmm. in a language they don't speak like it was just I could see their reaction and I had an intense like repulsion yeah. to it like I couldn't like my job there like my literal only job because I was one of the only people that spoke Spanish mm-hmm. 
I was supposed to talk to them and I couldn't do it. Like oh. I could not approach them because I felt so bad for their situation. And I understood it in a way that like, I don't think like no shade to uh, like any of the other snap producers. They're all lovely, wonderful people. And we talked about it afterwards, mm-hmm. but like they were all ready to be like, let's get the story. Let's do the thing. And I couldn't do it. And I talked to Anna Sussman, my editor. Mm-hmm. And I said like, Anna, like I feel really bad about this. Like this feels wrong. I can't do this. And she's like, I know how you feel. That is a very common thing that journalists go through. But would it ask yourself if it would be worse if no one cared? And I was like, okay, it would be worse if no one cared. Mm. If this didn't, if this wasn't a story that people cared to read or think about, then this person's death meant nothing. And like, you know, so that, that helped me a little bit. I still couldn't do it. I just sat back and kind of eavesdropped. I just didn't want to add to their pain, you know? And I could see that them being there every like second that them that they were there like was painful for them. So yeah, it was yeah, it was hard, and I still yeah. I still struggle with that to be honest. I don't think there's a right answer there. I think it's just an internal struggle. Yeah, I was I was gonna I guess just kind of follow up because that's such a good point of like, and you know you just said like there probably isn't even like a clear cut answer for it, but just I guess like when is it worth asking and finding out? the information and like answer and when is it like doing more harm ultimately to the people you're trying to help like that's always yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and like there's there's this anonym it's not even about how safe you can make the person after the fact it's about how safe you can make the person in the moment Mm -hmm. like and I, i don't think that journalists remember that often enough that people don't think about your product the way that you are like Mm -hmm. they don't care like your your thing is going to be a blip in their life so you should treat them with respect when you're with them Mm -hmm. and not like oh don't worry we can do all this don't worry about it don't worry like yeah they're worried about it like explain to them what you're going to do specifically ahead of time give them agency like I know that makes it more difficult and it makes it more likely that they won't talk to you but then that's fine. That means that they shouldn't, you shouldn't have wanted to talk to them if they didn't want to talk to you under these conditions anyway. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I think something that I also struggle with, um, just in, I don't know, in, th- in thinking about things similar and in like investigative journalism so, or something I'm just like curious about is, you know, sometimes there is that act of like having to build trust, um, mm-hmm. but building, trust or rapport or whatever it is that like falls into that category. Um, like doing it when you know that that's the intent to do it. And like, how do you differentiate when it's still mm-hmm. genuine? Uh, and when does yeah. it get kind of manipulative? Yeah. I don't know. Like that's something that I feel like is probably a really big line to toe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably not the best at that because I'm, I get really attached to people very easily. And especially if I know that they're doing a story that's like really impactful for their life. And I like me doing the story about them and whatever is happening to them factors into that. Um, For example, (laughs) I was doing a story Mm -hmm. that got killed ultimately, but I was doing a story about a woman who um, Mm -hmm. was trying to find her son's killer. And she was just doing it by herself because it was a cold case and the cops didn't care. So she bought a gun and just started like walking around and asking questions. And so we, it took a long time to get through and obvious, and she was like a very extroverted person. She didn't, 
I didn't mm-hmm. have to do anything to make her feel wet better, but she, you know, she was crying to me multiple times about her son and you can't help, but like, yeah, feel for, you know? And so I comfort, I got her like, you know, like I tried to make her feel better and then we, we created mm-hmm. a report and then she would like text me and tell me like, I'm feeling like this today. Like she, I became someone to her because I cared because of the story I cared. So it was that kind of like, would I care if I wasn't doing a story on you? Maybe not. Like, mm. and that makes me feel bad. But now that you're here, I care. Like, I it, there's there isn't a difference in the way that I care. Like, nothing changes. Like, I care about you now. But like the the, mm-hmm. the spark or the trigger that got me there is from my job, and that's kind of weird. And then of course you have to like in situations where you have to like you really have mm-hmm. to remain as mm-hmm. neutral as possible and you cannot get like yeah. i haven't been in a situation like that before you know like where you're reporting on like yeah. opposing sides or something like that but um i don't know that i would be able to to do that effectively yeah. i don't think into unless it was like on a subject that like i could remain neutral on um for example when i when i worked at the daily we were discussing what we should do mm-hmm. about the, it was during the ice raids. Um, yeah. And that was really triggering for me. <laughs> and um, they wanted to, they, they interviewed a, a border patrol agent, you know? And so like, you got to hear the border patrol agent's story. And like, you know, when you hear people's stories, obviously you, they become human to you. They, right. you know, think, so they were like, Oh, this, this job is really hard. Everyone hates me. Like, it's hard to see these things. I'm just doing a job. Like, Mm-hmm. so you got to empathize with him and then but then also like I felt like it was kind of mm-hmm. softening the thing like like right. feeling bad for your captor kind of thing and then when we were supposed to do the opposite which is like an, undoc- an undocumented person mm-hmm. who's like afraid for their life right now because of these raids um like the feedback that we had gotten back was like oh this this story from this undocumented person is too sappy. It's sentimentality. Like you're just trying to like push an agenda, (laughs) but this like, but this like border patrol agent, like his Mm. personal feelings and stories like that, that's interesting. And like, I would never like, it it was, it was very difficult for me to do the both sides thing on that because I was like, I don't care what the, I mean, I do care. I do want to know what they're feeling and thinking to just understand, but like, I don't want to put it on the same pedestal of like like you feeling some type of way about choosing a job is not going to make me feel as bad as like this person who's like escaping violence and is afraid to leave their car. Like it's just not the same. And so like when I would have, when we'd be in those discussion rooms and we were talking about like what was important for like the episode, what needed to be cut and things like that. I just, I had to take myself out of it. I'm like, I can't be, I can't be unbiased here. I can't like, this person sounds like my mom. I can't like, I mean, yeah this this conversation i do see coming up more and more and more and i think it's going to keep happening um as we continue on for who knows how long but the the (laughs) issue of like is objectivity in journalism even a real thing and it's not you know at least it's like definitely not and so like can anyone really have like a neutral uh position on anything and it's I don't know like do you yeah. have more thoughts on that beyond what you already shared I I think the future honestly is that we just like sp- speak like the who is reporting is part of the story that's I feel like that should be the case because I I also want to know like oh this person who grew up in like 
Raccoon Balls Falls, Arkansas is reporting on the border. I'm sorry. Is that a real name? (laughs) No, that's just, I don't know where I got it from. I definitely did not make that up. I was like, hold on. I have never heard the name of this before. (laughs) Sorry to interrupt you. It'd be amazing if that really did exist, actually. I know. I hope it does. Let's, let's get it. Let's get, we'll we'll Google it. Let's get a bunch of property and rename it Raccoon Balls Falls. (laughs) I love it. Sorry, um, I interrupted you. Uh, no, go for it. Okay. That's typical me, just like talking about something super heavy and then throwing in like something completely vulgar and inappropriate. <laughs> um, anyway, yes, um, I think like a story coming from someone from Indiana who's never left the state versus somebody coming from like Bangladesh or something is like knowing the lens of who is shaping the story mm-hmm. is part of the story. And I think it is actually, it makes it richer. I think it's a benefit. Yeah. And I don't understand, like, I guess, I guess with these, like, legacy institutions, they're really built off the idea of, like, that kind of outdated idea and, and sort of updating in this way that's like, well, our newsroom is so diverse and, like, we have different types of people and fact checkers, but low key, like, I don't think the whole newsroom is going in on the same stories. Like, obviously, like, one person is doing this story, one person is doing that story. So it's Mm -hmm. the same thing. Yeah. And, um, like, what harm would it do? to have people know who the reporter is. I mean, I guess it, it, it it encourages or enables people to say like, Oh, you only say this because you're ex, Mm -hmm. but you should be able to answer that anyway. Yeah. You know, like that, that's going to come up anyway. Like that is the truth. So just might as well acknowledge it head on. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, and it's also like a practice in just self-awareness, especially if Mm -hmm. you're like in that position, it's like, what's, what's better than someone who intimately knows this subject and also has the self-awareness and like ability to differentiate or ask for guidance if they feel like yeah they're they're too emotionally invested that they're not seeing straight and like that's something we should all learn how to do and i feel like that's just like should be a part of the training and yeah. you know on top of that i think in particular with podcasting i think podcasting has is pushing journalism in that direction, Mm -hmm. which I really appreciate. And I think that's probably why I ended up in this medium, Mm. especially at the cut right now. Like my, when I do reporting, it's always through my lens. It's a personal narrative that goes through me. So it's like, I, I think about the running for office episode that Mm -hmm. I did. Oh yeah. And yeah, like basically the, the core of that is like, what does it actually take to run for office? Like, what are the things that you don't see? Like the, the paperwork and the steps and things like that. And so when I was like talking to people, I did the interview like, hey, if I'm going to do this, this is who I am. Like, what's it going to be like for me? Mm-hmm. And that like I got a lot of feedback being like, this was so funny. This was so great. Like, it makes me feel like I can do it specifically because I was like the test subject mm-hmm. and like who I was made the story richer. Mm-hmm. And like that is the format of the cut, really. And it's I feel like it makes me understand things. Well, obviously, I feel like that because I'm the one doing it. But <laughs> But, you know, people give me that feedback like they really enjoy episodes because it fe- makes them feel like anybody mm-hmm. could experience that or something like that. Or they really relate to things. Um, that's my favorite feedback is like, oh, this really, yeah. this really like was so relatable for me. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, the most recent one, obviously, it'll be different by the time this episode airs. <laughs> but the the horticultural therapy one, I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, I need this in my life so much. I <laughs> totally feel that in New York City, I struggle very much. Um, I was so proud of that 
pun in there. I'll never, I'll, like, that's the, the peak of my career is plant parenthood forever. It was, it's honestly, so I was like, wow, they're just giving this away for free right now. I was like, are they gonna, are they gonna patent this after the episode? I was like, it's very good. So I have news. I am in love and it's with August period products. And at the risk of TMI, it has been a long time since I have felt comfortable on my period. I have really sensitive skin and pads and tampons have consistently made me feel more irritated. And it wasn't until I found out about August that I learned that these period products that many of us have been using for a long time have these toxic plastics in them. Then the first time I used an August product, I immediately noticed a difference. The August ones are 100% organic cotton, and they are so comfy and soft and gentle on my skin during an already not exactly relaxing part of the month. Plus, I learned that most period products take five to eight centuries to decompose. Like, what? But August pads are fully biodegradable in 6 to 12 months. August is changing the narrative to establish that periods are powerful. After all, periods make human life possible. And I definitely believe and agree that it's about time we have an inclusive brand that is committed to more sustainable, absorbent, comfortable, and even impactful period care. They are affordable, you can purchase them on an as-needed basis, or you can sign up for their monthly or quarterly subscription service. Plus, every purchase with August, they donate products and 10% of their profits to their nonprofit partners to serve menstruators in need. And you can receive 10% off your purchase by entering my code PODBROADS10. Check out itsaugust.co today or find them on social media at itsaugust and start feeling more comfortable on your period. I know I finally do. My listeners who have been following me forever know that I'm obsessed with the cut. It's one of <laughs> one of my all time favorite podcasts. Has been since it Aww. first launched. Um, and did you listen to it like initially when it was uh, when it was the cut on Tuesdays? Yeah, the cut on Tuesdays. Um, yeah. Where so where where were you in the world when that was happening before or like yeah? I just want to know how you got into it, and then obviously your role has progressed and changed and morphed into something new. So I want to hear all about that too. Yeah. So um, I was actually still working at Snap Judgment when the cut on Tuesdays was happening, and I was only peripherally mm-hmm. aware of it. It was actually at that point in my life I was more interested in documentary, mm-hmm. like Snap Judgment mm-hmm. style, obviously because that's what I was doing, <laughs> but. <laughs> Um, but I'd heard the Uber episode right when I moved. Do you want to give some context for what that episode covers? Yeah. So that, that was a really poignant, very disturbing episode about, um, a woman who was raped and, uh, taking an Uber. Um, and it was really, really difficult to, I mean, it was a difficult thing to listen to, but Mm -hmm. also like quite like you couldn't not listen to it. So that's a really hard balance to strike. And it was right when I was moving to New York. Mm. So I just felt like extra uneasy after hearing that. Um, So that was like, but after that, I, this is not the best thing to admit. But when I was working at the New York Times, I didn't have time to listen to anything else. Uh. Like it was just the daily, the daily is your life and not but service to the daily shall you do. That makes sense, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I didn't really listen to much. Uh, I mean, people would recommend off, you know, episodes of yeah. this or that, you know, and I would listen to those. But I wasn't an active listener to anything mm-hmm. in that time. OK. And yeah. and then so what got you actually working on the show as a producer? 
Um, so I just <laughs> I just finished working at Vogue at Condé Nast in particular um, and needed to be somewhere else. So <laughs> I uh, was looking around for jobs and um, Hannah mm-hmm. Rosen, who is the uh, head of audio at New York Magazine, reached out to me. I guess a couple people had recommended mm-hmm. me to her. And so I applied and I knew Avery and Parker mm-hmm. before. So, um, you know, I kind of reached out to them and be like, what's it like? I would love to work with you. And Avery and I have go back oh, really? years. Like she, when she was at 99PI. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. 99PI and Snap Judgment were like kind of like sister, sister brother shows um, in Oakland. And they would come over and use our studio sometimes. Oh, cool. Yeah. So um, I knew her and I've always wanted to work with her and she always wanted to work with me. And so that that kind of sealed the deal for me. Mm-hmm. And I really liked the format. I obviously love Avery. Everybody does. <laughs> um, and Parker. But um, yeah, so when uh, when Avery left, we were like, what are we going to do with, should we get a, a new host for the interim? Do What do we, and Parker and I were like, we can just do it. Like people seem to enjoy our episodes. So we started taking over in like a kind of temporary mm-hmm. capacity and it just kind of worked. And so now we are yeah. the hosts. So that's that's nice. And I do quite like that we're co-hosts together. You know, we can kind of play off of each other. We're such mm-hmm. opposites. It's comical how opposite we are. But it's fun. Like, she, Parker's actually a really good friend of mine. So <laughs> it's fun to it's, – it's like working – it's working with your – it's working with people you like and with your friends on, on things that you would already be talking about with your friends. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I think that the show also did a great job um, doing the transition. There, you're a little sneaky about it too, because I remember there was there was an episode with I want I want to say definitely you, and I want to say Parker too. I don't remember I don't remember exactly the timeline of it, but I remember like there were like sprinklings of like the you two hosting, and and then they like brought in that episode again of like. And we're talking about ending of jobs. And I was like, oh, my God, it's happening again. Because <laughs> that's what they did with the first season. And I was like, what's happening? But then when they said that you two would be taking over, I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That, like, that was a really smart progression. What was So it's funny. This is a question I was curious for Avery at the time when I was just, like, you know, thinking and they were going into season two and kind of rebranding a little bit with the name, shortening it. Um, but... Now you and Parker have kind of taken the baton for like this, the third season. And I don't know, what was it like filling those shoes? Like, I feel like there must've been some emotions along with that. Like, I know I would, I'd have feelings. Imagine trying to follow Avery. I mean, like (laughs) that's really difficult. I will say though, that, um, it was a lot easier than I thought it would be because I mean, cause we'd already been doing our own episodes. So it was, essentially the same thing the just the idea Mm -hmm. of being the person who represents because the transition was as gradual as it was um and since Avery is you know still in the network and still around and it just didn't seem like such an ending it didn't seem like such a like boundary or border that I had to click into it was much more of a gradual thing I would say the hardest thing about taking it over the transition was I know I'm a good producer I know that like I can do but I've never hosted a show before. You, mm-hmm. Like I've I've hosted episodes before. It's not yeah. the, it's not the actual act of hosting. It's like the symbolism that comes with being a host. Yes. Um. 
and like you're a personality now and that that scares me only in the sense that I have a big personality I'm not worried about being a personality I know that I have it it's just um I'm a specific personality and that (laughs) if you're a pub if you're a public person you're not going to please everybody and um my my specificness is so specific that there's just there's got to be people that think I'm obnoxious or, you know, I just, just knowing that there mm-hmm. are people out there that are like, Oh God, I, I used to like the cut when Avery did it, but now I don't like it because Jasmine or whatever. And just the thought that has never come back to me. I've never heard that feedback, but yeah. um, it probably exists. I mean, you can't please everyone. So right. <sighs> just like, just knowing, just accepting like hate haters. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's kind of cool. Because on the one hand, you're you're big enough to have haters, <laughs> right? So that's cool. But on the other hand, like I I, you know, it reminds me of the tweet by um. You ever see those mean tweets? The Jimmy Kimmel Live mean tweets? Yes, yes. I, the only I reason those. I watched Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> love those. Big fan of roast comedy. Um, but one of the one of the tweets was at um. Oh God, who was it? Was it? I think somebody had tweeted at Remy Ma saying like um, she looks like she actually like she fights her beats like it's like such a forced thing you look like you fight your beats and she goes Remy Ma also physically fights her haters <laughs> so come at me and I was just like that's the oh energy that I would have definitely if I got hate I would just I'd have to go for a run or something and get the aggression out because I'd be like all right, step up then. <laughs> you know, you got something to say, say it to my face. <laughs> but you can't be like that. You know, you're making a product and everybody has an opinion on the products and, and, you know, it's a creative endeavor. It's not like, does this work or not? It's like, a yeah. you know, you have to make peace with it. And I am learning how to make peace with that and to distance that from my self-worth. Yeah. Yes. That's the big piece. It's so hard though. I mean, I, same, like I have, those same exact thoughts though I I think you know the confrontational bit is like my dream is that I could just like come and be like oh yeah tell it to my face like that's what I'd say to myself in the shower when I'm like replaying (laughs) potential scenarios but like that would be after the fact of me like being super anxious and then like awkwardly like moving (laughs) like 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 crying to my boyfriend like while I look at the tweet like that's that's definitely my fear I have you heard the episode on cancel culture on yes um, i think it's your wrong you know which one i'm talking I, I about think the on, one on invisibility it's your wrong about right what oh no oh, wait there, which one are you talking there about there is one about uh cancel culture on you're wrong about i haven't listened to it yet i thought yeah. you were talking about the one uh i think it was invisibilia about uh, oh i have to listen to that it was one. good it was good it was like teenagers dealing with cancel culture for mm. things that they did when they were teenagers and like not, oh not, yeah it was, it was good i i think about um one of the co-hosts on, on the you're wrong about one. And she was just like talking about how like the real fear around the cancel culture thing. Cause I also think there's totally a huge use for it, yeah, honestly, yeah. but being a public figure or in some sense, you know, that ranges a lot in terms of like how public actually are you. But like, if you are in any way entering a space that makes you a public figure, yeah, it's like a very like, bizarre real anxiety around that that probably didn't exist 20 years ago or something like yeah. in the capacity that it does now yeah. i don't know yeah it's do you 
<sighs> I actually know a couple people who have been canceled before. Oh yeah, yeah, and just like what they like first, like one of them was canceled over something very silly. Um, I don't even remember what the specifics were, but um, so it was like some joke making fun of women that they like, take too long getting ready or something like that. Like, mm. like yeah, it was sexist. It was, <laughs> but it was like it was like 2012. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, like not that that's an excuse, but it's you know that that kind of thing. And I just kind of watched them. They 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 tweeted that way early on, and then they'd gotten mm-hmm. a, a bigger, high powered job somewhere. And of course, it like somebody like brought it up, and then they're like had to answer for it. And you know, mm-hmm. like starting a job like that that you're super stoked on, and then like you know you doing some stupid joke when you're 22. Yeah. Um, on Twitter is that's just the internet doesn't make it super easy for people to grow and learn because in order to learn and grow you have to feel like safe like but then also yeah uh, but then you'd like it's "Ah!" tough well but it's a really complicated thing because i think i don't know i talk about i i recently had a conversation about it like with with my boyfriend and two of our really close friends and we always get into like debates about shit um and we were talking about like cancel culture and it's I don't think it's a one size fits all answer. Like I think that they're at least right now today, this is what I'm thinking about it. It might change, but like, I think it's also looking at like contextually like life at the time. And it's like, we have to look at that whether we want to or not. And it's not, again, it's not an excuse, but it's like the things that I'm aware of now as a 29 year old Mm -hmm. woman in 2021 is much different than any of the kind of discourse that I was hearing when I was like 15. Um, and, and I also think it's like, what was, what was the long-term harm of mm. that thing mm. as well? Cause you think about like, you know, sexual uh, assault cases or things like that, like there's certain like statute of limitations and it's like, what long-term harm did this tweet do versus what long-term thing did this like act do yeah. that, on the person that I don't know. Like, I think that that all has to be a part of the conversation and it's really complicated and complex, but like, yeah, Yeah. I don't know. Like with your friend, I'm like, "Eh." I mean, we, we all probably made that joke in 2012. Yeah. I mean, like it sucks, but like, it's fucking true. Like, (laughs) I also think about things that people, Oh God, maybe this is a really bad idea, but here we go. Cause I have no shame. So here we go. Um, uh, well, like in high school, I did things that were, like really cringe now that I think about it yeah, and like same as one of the only like Latino people in my friend group like I did a lot of things to like fit in and like mm-hmm. like innocuous stuff but still in hindsight makes me very embarrassed for example one of my friends had done like a fake male pageant thing it was like a school event you know like a mm-hmm. look it's funny we can make men do pageants too uh, got you got you yeah and so his talent was like doing like a little like booty shake thing but like he did a mexican theme for it because haha it's funny mexicans are funny Mm, which okay mm -hmm. i will say that's true mexicans are funny that's like a huge part of our culture and like you know like we do goofy (laughs) stuff all the time and it's like you know like how do you not have like nacho libre like you know like that kind of like element mexicans are goofy as fuck so when he wanted to do that, I thought it was fun. I was like, this is hilarious. Let's do it. So I got mm-hmm. my my mom and my sister's like giant folklorico dresses and like, you know, did like background dancing for him. And I got him my mm-hmm. sombrero. And like he basically spent his whole event making fun of Mexicans. 
And mm-hmm. I was there being like, oh, this is fun. Like, I can help you do it. Like, we are goofy. This is so silly. And if mm-hmm. it had come from me, it would be different. But the fact that it was coming from that, from him and like going to yeah. like a majority white audience, in hindsight, I look at that and I go like, uh, <laughs> but I did it yeah. so that I would be cool, you know, or that my friend would right. like me, you know? Mm. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I don't, you, I'm, <laughs> what am I trying to say? I feel like this sh- if there's any shame that you feel about that situation like you're not the one <laughs> yeah. who should be taking on the shame yeah, you know what i yeah. mean like that's like completely understandable given the situation and yeah, yeah. what you were navigating at the time yeah. but i also think about like some a lot of people use humor as a coping mechanism yeah and so like if you tweet something about like a messed up situation to make a joke out of it so that you can process it and then get mm-hmm. then get canceled about it late like i just i just feel like i mean i think a lot of this has to do with just being online because i think about tina fey mm. so tina fey i think my hot take about her is that she would have been canceled a long time ago like epically canceled mm if she had been on Twitter or the internet mm. generally, like she's not on any social media. And so like people, I think with canceling, people want the person who's being canceled to know that they're being canceled. You know, like this is your consequence. Like people are angry mm-hmm. at you. And, um, because she wasn't like what she would have been canceled over was like a, a pattern of anti-Asian stereotypes in her stuff. And like certain mm. things she said in the past, but, and then when I learned about it, having watched oh what is that show <laughs> kimmy the unbreakable kimmy schmidt oh there's yeah. a lot of cringe moments in that and i remember watching it and like googling it and being like why didn't i hear about this where was the outrage about this like this seems yeah. like this would totally get her canceled and then i did find like oh here's a whole bunch of examples of tina fey's racism and but then i was like but nothing nothing happened and i think it's because she doesn't she's not on online like people can't yeah. get out her. So it's like, what is the point of canceling her? It's like, she doesn't know she's canceled. So what difference does it make right. for her? Um, and so like, and I think about that and I'm like, well, maybe that, maybe I should get off the internet, <laughs> but then also like, I shouldn't be doing stuff that will get me canceled anyway. So like, right. I know. Uh, I know. But then you make, I don't know. it's just kind of like, I, I think we're just all on the internet too much and we need to go outside. <laughs> Uh, I know I agree and yet I'm like so fucking addicted to it it like genuinely is the one thing in my life that I'm addicted to like alcohol sugar Mm -hmm. whatever like I can easily cut it off Mm -hmm. but like I will unconsciously grab my phone way too many times and it's not good yeah yeah I will say I I have a new outlook on social media oh yeah and it's actually a positive one so Mm. facebook sponsor me (laughs) um i at the beginning of the pandemic or the beginning of this of this summer i should say Mm -hmm. at the beginning of this summer i i just kind of had this clicking moment where i thought to myself you know like why don't i feel cool like all of my Mm -hmm. friends like everybody seems Mm -hmm. in it feels cooler than me and it makes me feel bad about myself and i'm like oh Mm -hmm. it must be social media it's making me feel bad about myself but then I was like, I'm not going to be able to cut it out of my life. So I might as well be the person that everybody feels like is too cool for them. Like I should just act like the people that I think are cool. And like, I just should copy them, like straight up copy them. <laughs> and, and, 
you know, like I was like, why do I feel like I can't be cool when the things that other people are doing that I think are cool are just activities that I can do. So I decided to do that and I'm just going to stop. I mean, this is vulgar, but I was like, I'm just going to stop fucking the people I think are cool. And I'm going to start being the person that is cool. You know? Ooh, I like that. The people are fucking. Yes, yeah. I like it. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> um, and so I started like skateboarding more often because I think that's really cool. And mm-hmm. I made a point of that. And I would use social media to be accountable and be like, the point of this is to be the person on social media that makes me feel bad about myself. So I don't feel bad about myself anymore. And I would like mm. take videos of me skateboarding and I take videos of me learning a song guitar, even if I was fucking up because it was showing me doing it, trying to be cool. And I got so much good feedback. Oh my God. It was like overwhelming. People were like mm. your Instagram is so great. Like I love watching you. Like I, you know, Oh, I saw you do that. That looks so cool. And I got a lot of positive reinforcement and encouraged me to do it more. Mm. So I started skateboarding a lot, even if I wasn't videotaping it for social, like I was just doing it because now that's a thing that I do. And I became this yeah. person that I wanted to be because of social media. So I use like social media, like it's a Pinterest board of my life. Mm. Like I think about like if I die and they black mirror me, like I don't want it to be like lame mainstream tweets and I come out like milk toast. I want it to be like who <laughs> I am. So, you know. Oh my God. I love it. <laughs> I think that the Pinterest, I like that, that piece of it. I, I have to ask like, what would have happened if you, what do you think would have happened if there wasn't that positive reinforcement there? Cause I think Ooh. I agree. And then I'm also like, sometimes if I post things with the intention of like kind of what you were just explaining, but then it doesn't get yeah. the thing mostly because of the fucking algorithm on, on like, honestly, but it's like, yeah. How, what do you, how do you, how do you think that would affect it? You know, you know that I, it's happening to me. And it's, it's funny because on Instagram, I'm getting the reinforcement and on Twitter, mm. it's the opposite. And it's like, mm. am I just not funny? <laughs> am, I just, am I just not clever? And people just like to look at me because I look weird. And that's why it's, I'm getting all this feedback on Instagram and not on Twitter. Um, so yeah, I, I, so I could tell you in real time what that feels like. It kind of feels like Maybe I'm just a narcissist. I don't know. I, I'm kind of like, well, you guys are, you guys just don't know what funny is. <laughs> I think this is great. And I, oh, I have those thoughts too. Yeah. So you're not alone. <laughs> like, I had a tweet go viral recently that I thought was pretty tame. Like, I didn't, like, it was a clever pun on words. It was the hot girl summer fading meekly into, um, Fall of civilization. Fall of society. Yes. Yeah, fall of civilization. Thank you. <laughs> and it went viral. So fast. it was just like a funny play on words for fall. I'm sure I'm not the only person yeah. who thought of that play on words. It's a very easy thing to think of. Mm-hmm. And I like kind of tweeted it, went to work, came back, and it was like blowing up. And I was like, what the hell? And to contrast, like, I've had way funnier stuff on there that got no traction at all. Yeah. And so I think what it made me realize about Twitter specifically is that it's not about, and I think maybe this is about social media in general, it's not about how cool you are or how clever you are I think it's about Mm -hmm. how relatable you are and I think the reason that my Instagram has gotten so much feedback is that I show me trying like I'm not showing Mm -hmm. the finished product being like this is me on this vacation like I'm showing me literal videos of me like playing like little ditties on guitar and going fuck (laughs) you know like (laughs) just just being a complete turd and and then then they see the finished product and and so people have told me specifically that feedback is like it feels you make me feel like I can do it. Mm, um, that's great feedback. Yeah. 
So I think that's the difference there is that like relatability and like someone going, oh, yeah. that's me is really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. There is a <laughs> kind of to your point too, like with TikTok in, in particular, uh, weirdly enough, I mean, there's definitely parts of TikTok that have made me like feel insecure or like compare myself or whatever. That's like a constant battle that I deal with. But like TikTok at the same time and Twitter too a bit, like what you, what you said, I will literally look back at my videos and be like, I'm so funny. <laughs> like I feel bad that people didn't get to see. This. I love that. I love that. <laughs> like, and like, and I love it especially too, because for so long we're told that like women aren't funny and I'm like, or maybe you're just not laughing at the right things. Mm -hmm. And I know that I make myself laugh. So my goal is to make myself laugh. And if no one else laughs, who gives a fuck? Cause yeah. I'm hilarious. <laughs> like <laughs> one time I got really, really stoned, really stoned. And mm -hmm. I was just looking through my phone and I was on my own Twitter page, not realizing it. <laughs> And I was like, I was like, this person is spot on. <laughs> this person's got a great feed. Like, this person knows. This is fun. This is good quality shit. And then I scrolled up. I was like, oh, it's me. <laughs> I like myself. Oh, my God. Uh, but isn't it, like, just, like, kind of a wonderful, like, it's kind of that wonderful moment that, like, I feel like you part of why I'm in therapy is to like learn it is to like be able to like affirm and reflect back to yourself to yourself and get validation from yourself mm -hmm. and it's like like I love I think that's brilliant it's <laughs> you're it's wonderful like yeah. that's the video you need to say like see recorded of yourself reacting to yourself in like the most positive way and then like play it for yourself when you're feeling down and be like no I'm awesome I do I will say this is my advice for anyone starting podcasting or anyone doing an audio. Anytime someone gives you positive feedback, like in, in an episode, uh, or I'm sorry, in an interview I had done with um, the current president of Sub Pop Records, the label that started Nirvana mm -hmm. and the whole mm. grunge movement. Um, she was an intern there in the 90s. And so I had interviewed her for the grunge episode for the Vogue podcast. And it was such a lovely interview. And at the very end, she's like, you know what? I can really tell that you love what you do. Like you, you're really mm. good at it. Like I can, I can tell you care. And I was like, Oh, thank you. And I kept, obviously had the whole interview and I took that little snippet out and I slacked it to myself and I just like listened to it occasionally. and be like, when I'm feeling yeah. imposter syndrome. And then I was like, you know what? Everyone should know this. So now I have a section on my website <laughs> that's just like accomplishments and it's like yeah. the, the literal accomplishments but then I also like take screenshots of people who react to things that yeah. I've done and then also that little that little tidbits on there so yeah I love that idea I I have a recording too of someone recently who said that they really enjoyed talking with me and I was so thrilled because she was someone that I really admire and mm -hmm. have admired in the podcasting space for a while and I also totally am that person who will like have a wonderful conversation and then immediately after I got off my like recording for an episode I'll be like oh my god did they hate it were they so <laughs> bored were they like what is this bitch asking me like I, was, yeah. I will like go through like all of those things and I like that idea also on that note as well you've also gotten a lot of feedback around you had people who say that you're like the most empathetic leader one of the most generous and effective leaders and I loved reading that and I also wanted to hear from you like I don't know who were who were your like leader mentors and was that a role that you were always comfortable in or is it something that you kind of had to come into and embrace 
Yeah. I've never had a mentor. Everyone talks mm-hmm. to me about it. I feel like I should have it. I actually prefer to have lateral men- mm. mentors. Yeah. Um, people that like float at the same time. I don't like the idea of power dynamics in relationships and I never have. Mm. Um, and I know that that's just part of life. Like you, in order to get organization, you just have to have people that are managing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't like the assumption that they are somehow more, pow- I guess they are more powerful. It's, it's, it's hard for me to articulate. Well, I just don't like the idea of someone's mind being valued over another person's mind. Mm-hmm. And I never, I never have, I don't like group dynamics. I've never been a camp kid, for example. Like, I just, <laughs> I, I don't like, I don't like the social hierarchy aspect of most things. So my empathy, I think is, that's just something I was born with. I'm really empathetic to a fault where the sense that like, it is almost crippling sometimes. It's probably, I don't know, probably my therapist will be like, oh, it's trauma because of the way you grew up. <laughs> probably. But, um, <laughs> I actually feel it physically. Like I can, yeah. I can, if somebody is sick, I will start to feel like I'm sick. If someone, um, I can't be around people who are throwing up. It'll make me throw up. Oh no. Um, and if somebody is like, if I hear someone crying, like I, like I feel the sensation, like I can't sit there and watch someone experience an emotion and not also at least feel the impact of that emotion at the very least. Yeah. So to that end, like, that's just a personality trait of mine. But in terms of, like, leaders or someone I looked up to, there really wasn't anyone Mm. like that. I've had people who had aspects of those things. So they were either really empathetic and, like, caring but entirely disorganized. And so, like, people would get frustrated with them because, yeah, they'd be really great and they'd help you out in a pinch and, like, they're totally there for you. But they're also, like, not answering your slacks and, like, making your life difficult because they're so busy and not organized. Mm. Or they're extremely organized and efficient. Like, honestly, these were, like, night and day. Like, my, my experience in my career really shaped me this way. Because at Snap Judgment, I, was, I started off as the office manager. <laughs> mm. And I kind of, like, wiggled my way into production because just finding holes and things to patch. And, like, yeah. to just be that person to fix things. And Mm. that was very much like a, we care about the people that we work with, but we're also very disorganized. (laughs) Like, like, not disorganized. I'd say chaotic. Like they, they made their, they made their deadlines. (laughs) It was just chaotic. And, and then the daily was the exact opposite. It was like very little, like do not bring your emotions to work. This is news. We got to move like Mm -hmm. very, very different, very efficient, very well, like constructed workflows, but also people feeling a little bit, well, at least my experience was feeling a little bit like an automaton in that, like not really having any kind of like creative, um, agency really. Yeah. Um, but I did take with me from that, like effective efficiency practices. Yeah. And then at Conde, that was my first experience actually being a manager. I had like, I was kind of essentially working as the interim EP for a long time. And, mm. um, and I'd started off as a senior producer and they'd understaffed. And so I ended up doing so much more. And then our EP that was there left in the middle of the year. And so I just took over all of his duties and ended up overseeing like all of the Vogue team, the wired team, the pitchfork team. And, um, they were all varying levels of mm-hmm. skill set. And I remember just hoping and wishing I could break my way into this industry 
and yeah. seeing all those boundaries which were like oh you don't know how to do this on pro tools then like Ugh. or like oh like you don't know this fr-. like so many like euphemisms that mm-hmm. keep that that make you sound like you're in the know and if you don't know them like you it's obvious that you're quote unquote inexperienced just because you don't know a word for a thing right oh my god yes yeah. i'm trying to i just like tape i or just actuality. said something about that yeah yeah exactly. it's, it's so stupid it's like we have these code words to keep people out of things and yeah. i hate that so it was really really important to me to establish that everybody had strengths and everybody had weaknesses including myself and so yeah. you know if somebody was didn't know how to do pro tools like I mean, that was a totally unhealthy work environment. But like in, at 3 a.m., you know, if my producer's like, I don't know how to do this. And I was like, got it. And I would get up and I, I taught like four or five people at 3 a.m. Oh, wow. on a deadline how to score, uh, you know, like how to you know use the clip gain. Line, like just like technical stuff that like it takes yeah. 20 seconds to teach someone and just be there for them yeah. as they like try it out. Yeah, it's really not. It should not be a gateway. Just teach them. It's yeah. fine. Like What you should be fostering is like how you work with people is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And so I kept that, I kept that energy and everybody really liked me for it. And I just, it's because I've been under management and I've been, I, I know what it feels like to feel like you're not good enough. And I never, yeah. ever, ever want anyone to feel like that under me, even if it's okay for them to feel like they don't have the skills. Cause that could be an accurate yeah. assessment, but that means like, okay, how do we get you those skills? And that's, that's a better fucking system. Like that's like develop the people that are under you, make them feel like they're there for a reason, make them feel like they are valuable to you beyond the things that they need to work on, because then you'll have people that will actually like work for you. Like they will be connected to you. Like the product that we were making at Condé and the work, everything about it was just trash. (laughs) I just, the whole experience was really bad for me in the sense that, you know, like it was you know, a new production, like startups are chaotic and, and it was kind of startup-y in that way. Mm-hmm. But the team, I don't think I've ever worked in a better team, like our mm. individual little audio silo because we had this trust of each other, Yeah, especially on, on the Vogue team, which was the closest team of mine. They knew, they trusted me to be able to come to me with their insecurities and their like, I don't know how to do this. Yeah. And I really, really wanted that to be true because I don't want anyone to feel embarrassed that because then you can't grow, you know, and like yeah. you just sit there and suffer and try to teach yourself and it's totally painful. And you, yeah. you like if you just need the safe space to be like, I don't know this, like, can you teach me? And most of the time it takes like 20 minutes. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, it's really not that hard. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I it's kind of like sometimes like it feels like there's two splits of people it's the ones who are uh going to repeat the way that they were raised and and then the ones who want to change it you know they want to look at it and change it next week on the pod broads we live in a society that perpetuates the myth of meritocracy which is the more time and work you put into something the more successful you can be and maybe the question really is like Someone taking a week off because, or a few days off because they're in pain, doesn't make them less, you know, able to perform a job, right? And I think that that, like, like that that's kind of my my newer, I think, maturity, kind of like being able to acknowledge that of like this isn't just an issue of like finding solutions and giving sick days. It's also like reframing how we value and you know evaluate someone's 
potential in a leadership position. That's Nadia Okamoto. She is a social entrepreneur and the founder of Period, the leading menstrual movement. She is the author of Period Power and the current CEO and co-founder of August, which you've heard an ad for on this very episode. Make sure to follow and subscribe to the Pod Broads wherever you get your podcasts. That way, you'll never miss an episode. Let's get it. is if the cut was a cocktail what would it be (laughs) okay well I will tweak that and say if the cut for me because me and Parker Mm -hmm. have different flavors okay yes 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 and I'll even do a guess on what Parker would be too I'll see what she thinks about that (laughs) great I love it um I think I think my cut is a um I want it to be fun. Like it's it's I think it's a craft cocktail that yeah. I think, you know, like something with maybe blue carousel in it. <laughs> I'm I'm struggling to come up with names, but like a, a fun fruity drink that has like an Aperol spritz. Yeah, like an Aperol spritz. <laughs> maybe some champagne in it or some kind of bubbly element. Um, mm. a weird color. So some like mm. a blue or a purple. Um and uh, a cute little like um garnish, like a like a lavender garnish or like a foam top <laughs> with some cinnamon on it, something. No, I got it. I got it. I know what it is. Oh, I know what it is. Okay. It took me what is it? It's a tamarind margarita. Ooh. For me. Oh, I like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. With a okay. with a tahine salt rim. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And what about Parker's? <laughs> Um, I don't even know what Parker likes to drink, to be honest with you. Uh, Parker's fun. She's, she's insanely knowledgeable about movies. So I wonder, Mm. I wonder, I wonder if hers would be something classic, like something kind of like an old fashioned. Like I was, yeah, you took the word out of my mouth, (laughs) actually. I was literally about to say that. (laughs) Yeah. Classic kind of like hollywood in a way but also like mm. authentic and down to earth and like anyone can get it but also is like a, a nice cocktail with a yeah a, I'll, I'll ask her what she thinks about that answer and see i'll tell you cool. i'll tell you if she says something different okay i'm very <laughs> curious to hear um okay uh would you rather have a recurring archie comic created based on you or get to interview britney spears on the cut Okay, well, you're going to get me fired for this. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, what? not really. Not really. I mean, I mean, I feel like the, the, what everybody wants me to say is the Britney Spears thing, but I am an Archie hardcore stan. So I would absolutely pick that option. Like, no doubt. No doubt. Like, I don't. Oh, that's awesome. I've, I've already, like, okay, here's me, here's me bragging. Okay, watch this flex. Yeah. I've already okay. interviewed a bunch of celebrities. Mm-hmm. So the celebrity factor of it is not that appealing to me. And also celebrity interviews are actually quite boring to me like they're all media trained right so it's like it's uh, i like i love interviewing um people who aren't used to being interviewed who who do cool stuff and then they get super stoked when somebody's interested in them Mm -hmm. like that president of sub pop records like she probably doesn't get Mm -hmm. interviewed all the time i mean probably occasionally 
but it was really fun for her to talk about something that's really really fun for me but yeah archie comic for life for sure for sure (laughs) there was one moment i saw on twitter where they were hiring for their podcast and i responded to them and i was like honestly the intersection of Archie Comics super fan and professional podcaster is one, and it's me at the center of the Venn diagram. You need to hire did you me. Do, did you do the handshake? Yeah, did you do yeah. that? No, I actually drew a Venn diagram. Oh, my God. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, okay. If you, if you weren't working in audio, what would you be doing right now? Oh, good question. Good question. I was going to be a lawyer. And then I stopped because the legal system is completely screwed up. Um, (laughs) Probably something still creative. I'm very lucky that I found myself in this industry where I could be creative and be successful at the same time. Yeah. Um, Which is really nice. I don't, I don't have a good answer for this because I, um, I kind of low key thought that I would die young. (laughs) (laughs) when I was younger like I was a little reckless not necessarily in my decisions but in my like lifestyle uh Mm -hmm. and my outlook on life and I would move and change jobs for whatever reason like I've Mm -hmm. moved every year for like six years uh Mm, so yeah I'm, I'm kind of like I'm kind of chaotic in that way uh and I think I was just looking for something any industry that I could be creative in and wasn't I wasn't contributing to some huge problem directly. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. everybody contributes to everything because it's capitalism. Exactly. It's, we can't escape it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't want to... Like, I don't think I'll ever work in news again, for example. Mm. Because mm-hmm. I would be directly responsible for shaping narrative on something. And if I didn't have control mm. of what that was and I just had to put something out there that was like contributed to someone being xenophobic or something Mm -hmm. that would make me feel really bad. So yeah, I I think any, maybe I'd be an art, maybe. Okay. Here's a specific answer. I would be an artist. (laughs) I'd be a bad artist. I'd be a bad starving artist, probably get addicted to drugs and just like peace out early. And then they do like a retrospective on all my crap art. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So how can my listeners find you, support you, be involved in the work you're doing? Um, follow me on all my stuff. Um, I guess follow me on Twitter and Instagram. So give me those little clappy emojis on my, uh, uh, <laughs> on my guitar shitty playing on my stories. Um, and listen to the cut, you know. Um, I, I would actually, I would venture to say a better question in that sense would be how could your listeners if they want to like follow, like continue to keep up with me, it would be mm-hmm. to follow me, but I don't, I don't need support. Like I, 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 uh, I would rather that people support India people, mm. you know? And like, I would love to be the person, like I would love to use my position of, of privilege and power in this, in this space to help people like me 10 years ago. So that's mm. what I, I would like find somebody like me and listen <laughs> to them. And then connect me with them, and then I'll help boost them. That's that's my mm, answer. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Our original music is produced by Carrie Blue. The cover art was designed by Elsa Bermudez. And everything else is produced and edited by me, myself, and I, Miss Alexandra Cole. 
And you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook at Podraland. And you can find out more of what I do at www.podraland.com. Sign up for my newsletter for more recommendations of women-hosted podcasts, related news, and special updates about this podcast. And finally, make sure to share this episode. Tag us in it, like that shit, give it a review. Anything you do helps not just this podcast get more exposure, but also helps these women's voices be heard by way more people. And ultimately, that's my goal. So let's fucking do it. Wonderful. I have to tell you, your backdrop is so beautiful. Oh, it's not my house. Really? <laughs> <laughs>